You're listening to the Sound Girls Podcast with Tori and Katie. Mary Broadbent is a tour manager, production manager, and guitar backline tech who's been in the music touring industry for 16 plus years. She's tour managed for artists such as Claro, The Mowgli's, Magic Giant, The Staves, Lute, Rabel, and production managed, stage managed, The Festival Girls School, and She Rocks Awards 2018 and 2020. In 2015, she added guitar backline teching to her skill set, working for Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, Against Me, Plain White Tees, and Tegan and Sarah. She serves as a tour manager, production manager, mainly, but pulls double duty tour managing and teching when tours require it. She lives in Los Angeles, and during this pause in the touring industry, she's been working as a COVID compliance officer for the ABC Disney show Rebel, while also keeping up with her new corgi pup and writing music. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's so nice in here. <laughs> in this audio space. It's, it's, so, nice in here. it's so roomy. The sound is so great. You guys are great hosts. Thank you so much. Thanks. You know what? Episode's done. I think that's all we need. <laughs> done and done. One minute. <laughs> oh, Mary. So how'd you get into this whole gig? The touring, the production managing, all of it. Yeah. So I uh, I went to school actually at Emerson in Boston. What's up? Shout out for TV video production. And um, I wanted to make music videos. Um, then I went to an internship out in L.A., And then there I met somebody who suggested I should go on tour with bands. And that was the first time I heard about that. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. And that's so perfect for me because uh, I moved around a lot growing up. And before going to school for editing, I was in a band in high school and I really loved music. I was in a lot of like music and arts programs and in high school. And even before that, uh, so going on tour with bands seemed great. And uh, then I just started looking into it, pursuing it, trying to find some pathway to get on that train. And eventually, uh, after doing like little gigs here and there, local to LA, uh, I landed a gig working with this band called Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, who was a swing band that was huge in the 90s. And um, I worked as their merch girl and I helped the tour manager and I figured out what his job was. And that really, really seemed interesting to me. and. He was a really good person to work under because I got to sort of see how well he did his job and learn how to be a tour manager from him inadvertently. He like he wasn't teaching me directly. I just sponged off of him. So then I was with that for two years and then just moved on to other stuff and got some merch gigs here and there. And then I started working as a tour manager independently for uh, a lot of other bands and some marketing tours. Cause I still like Facebook wasn't around then. So there wasn't like, or sound girls, I don't think was even around then. So it was just still like trying to yeah, hustle and find like these opportunities that were touring related. So that's kind of how I got my start. So what did you sponge? What makes a good touring manager? What makes, um, organization uh brian stanley who is the tour manager and is still is the tour manager for big bad voodoo daddy he's just very on top of knowing like all the new airline regulations travel regulations things like that like he just had a good network of things going on and he just was really organized and before to master tour was around you know day sheets everywhere everybody knows what they're doing 
and but he also made it very smooth and simple too so it wasn't overstressed or there wasn't more paperwork than necessary and he simplified things when he needed to so he's just a really smart guy and um I went back to go do guitar attacking and stage managing with him in 2015. And I still learn more stuff from him every single time. So he's a great guy. So then what led you to guitar teching? <laughs> I didn't want to do merch anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if there's no positions available on a tour, which like sort of independent tours or medium-sized tours are, you either have like this position where you're first coming in and you're maybe a merchandise manager if you're not somebody who's a tech person like and tech meaning like an audio person or a a lighting person or a video person if you're not qualified in those respects but you still want to tour like the only options for you are like merchandise or tour management and it's just like a starter position or like a higher up position you know but I wanted to find something else for myself to make myself a better attribute for a tour because a lot of times on tour they would always do oh you have to be a tour manager and also do front of house and I'm not somebody who's had enough experience doing front of house or sound but I could always offer up stage management and uh, guitar teching you know if I knew how to do that so I started learning how to do that so that's mainly why I started doing it and I do enjoy it because it's at times more challenging than being a tour manager and also it has its own responsibilities, but not a responsibility that blankets the entire tour. So you do get a bit of a break <laughs> when you're just a stage manager, guitar tech. You're just helping out the tour manager instead of being the tour manager, you know? And what type of a skill set do you have to have to be a guitar tech? Still organization. I'd say being clean as well in your station area. Also just um, communication with... Uh, the local stage hands, because you have to delegate responsibility. You have to be able to load in and out a truck or um, a bus or whatever. Communication with the band or the guitar guitarist or even the drum tech, depending on if you're like a drum tech, keyboard tech, because you could be a, not just a guitar tech, but like a, a backline tech too. So just like a lot of communication, I think, is involved with the job, which is what the tour manager does. But it's just more like with the team, the local team, like on the ground. And then, yeah, you just can't fuck up. Oh, <laughs> that's it. You just can't fuck up. Yeah. This There's no the, option to. One of the classic things that you're supposed to, you know, have a good show. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I mean, there's good days and bad days. And you just have to also, like anything, it's like a learning curve. Like once something bad happens and you go through it, you know, next time how to handle that. If it occurs again and you're a little bit more calm and rational and you're not like a deer in headlights, like... I was out with Tegan and Sarah and we were doing a gig in Utah and Tegan's guitar, it was an acoustic guitar. It wasn't working for some reason. And it was just like the first note she hit, you know, Oh, it's not working. And immediately I was like, okay, well I got the backup. Like, and I'm already walking out stage and giving it to her. And like, it was a nice smooth exchange, you know, but like, if I hadn't done that before, you know, I might've just been like, Oh, you know, had a moment of just like panic. And then she would have just been standing behind the drummer, like, give me my guitar, you know? But luckily, I already had that instance happen in my career where I just kind of knew what to do instantly. So, you know, with experience comes just like a little bit more calmness to uh, handling problems and being a little bit more rational and less panicky when it comes to problems that might arise um, on tour or on stage. That's great advice for any, any discipline in tech. 
or terrain, yeah. honestly. I was wondering specifically what does like because you troubleshooted in that particular case. So what does the original bad day look like where you make the mistake for the first time? Ooh. Um one classic case that happened when I first started guitar teching, I was out with a band and we were doing like a fairground show and um it was really weird because I I shadowed over the original guitar tech and then he left. And before he left, he said, oh, here's the artist's main guitar. He only uses this guitar. We have a backup, but he's never going to want it. And this is just something that everybody on the crew knew. And I was told before the original guitar tech left. And I was like, okay, cool. And then, of course, we do this fairground show. It's outside and the temperature drops drastically. And the thing with guitars is that they're wooden. So temperature is a big thing for guitars. If a guitar is in a cold case all day in like a cold truck and it gets into a nice warm venue, you probably want to open up those cases and let that wood get acclimated with the temperature inside because the tuning is going to be off. If you, if you try and tune a cold guitar and then it warms up, it, the tuning's going to be bad in like, you know, an hour or two. So anyway, this guitar was tuned. It was nice and kind of warm outside. Then the temperature dropped drastically. This guitar goes out of tune. And I'm like, oh, shit, you know? And uh, the artist, like, looks at me, gives me the guitar, and he says, tune. And I say, okay. So I'm trying to tune the guitar, and then he turns back to me while he's on stage, and he's just like, give me my guitar. And I'm like, it's not tuned yet. You just gave it to me. So I just gave him, like, back his half-tuned guitar, and I didn't understand he wanted the backup. And then that was a whole other thing. And then the tour manager had to talk to me, and then he talked to him, and then he explained to the artist like, listen, you never use this backup. So of course she was taught never to give you this backup. So she was just trying to tune your original guitar because you didn't say backup, you said tune, you know? Um, so that was an instance where it was just like, I don't know, it's very particular, but I guess moral of the story is just always have the backup tuned and ready to go and just be ready to like pass off a different guitar just in case something doesn't work out. If you don't have a guitar tech on stage, just keep your backup on a stand right behind you. There's no shame in that. It's just better to look like, oh, this doesn't work, and then an easy switch than like sit there like a guppy on stage and be like, oh, what do I do? And then they have to walk off stage and get a guitar. Like if you can't, if you don't have a guitar tech, that is, you know, it's just better to be ready. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone has a guitar tech generally, right? Like how common is it? No, eh? No, no. I mean, some bands, they just have the guitars like on stage. They might have somebody tune them, but I've definitely worked with some artists where they don't have a dedicated guitar tech. Like um, Clara didn't have a dedicated guitar tech. She did have her monitor engineer help like set the guitars up and just make sure like the lines worked before the show. But nobody was there passing her a guitar when she was done or in between songs or something. She just had her guitars on stands ready to go and they were tuned. Right. Like if you had a huge arena tour, you have all these amenities and people available to you because you have like the income to fulfill those positions. Like if you're, say, a merchandise manager on an arena tour, like maybe the next step is you're going to be at a production assistant and then you're going to be a production coordinator. And then you might be like a road manager for like the C road bus or something, you know, like you there's buildings blocks to get up to like tour manager, production manager. Whereas when you're on smaller tours, it's like merch or tour manager, right. but there's no in between jobs to really go to in the production world. You have to like learn um, a skill set in order to kind of climb up the ladder. If you don't have the experience 
being like a tour merch person or like getting the opportunity to just jump to being a tour manager and not have to do a merch position. Right. That's interesting that it all kind of starts with merch. Yeah. Yeah. I think it happens with a lot of people, not everybody, but that is kind of like the, your way into touring. Usually if you're on a smaller tour with bands, like I hear so many times where somebody says like, Oh yeah, you know, I used to do merch and then like the band liked me. So they brought me on the road and you know, now I'm the tour manager and it's been like 10 years or something like that, you know? So now what have you been doing since COVID hit? Uh, I have been working as a COVID compliance officer admin for this uh, ABC Disney show called Rebel. Hmm. It's a pretty good show. It's based off of Aaron Brockovich's life loosely. The job itself is tedious and uh, attention detail, things like that. And um, there's a rhythm to it that I've locked in now. But when it first started, I was the only one doing my position. Now we have a, I have a counterpoint, which is great because I can actually have a day off and breathe. <laughs> but it's 12 hour days on a computer, basically just arranging testing for people. Um, but it's been great. I've been very fortunate and I'm very lucky and I'm very happy that I was able to, you know, lock down a job. And that was in October. And I think we're going to end the TV show at the end of May. And then I'm going to be free. But then <laughs> when does the touring start? Because obviously entertainment is offerings are starting to, you know, come back. So maybe, maybe. I mean, I have uh, had a couple conversations with some different people about touring or just being available, things like that. I know that LA, I think is officially open June 15th. So not too long from now. I'm hoping that maybe I'll go out in the fall uh, at the earliest, but I really don't know. And I have to just kind of be available to whatever comes my way, you know? So we'll see. And I'll be happy to accept any Thing that comes along because it'll just be nice to return back to my normal job. <laughs> sure. And you'll be like really good at COVID monitoring because of this gig, right? You'll be like, yeah, it'll be good to, I guess, take that information on the road with me when we do return. Yeah. I feel like that would be super helpful as a tour manager now knowing all of the COVID protocols with whatever the environment's going to be like once you start touring again. Yeah. Yeah. It will be. I, I keep talking to different people about how how that's going to play out as far as just, you know, is it going to be like a case by case uh, or tour by tour basis where some tours are going to go full all out testing three times a week or like just make sure everybody's vaccinated before they go on the road or our venue is going to kind of instigate the same type of thing like, oh, all their local crew, they test like three times a week or there's going to be sanitation before or after shows like you. I don't know how it's going to all play out. I think it's going to be different based off of each state or county. So we'll have to see. And I think we're going to find out a lot more information once uh, festivals get going or shows get going and see like what the outcome of those uh, live events with a mass amount of people going to them is going to bring to the table. Wow. So what is like an ideal regular day? What does a day look like? Or like, you know, the process of getting a tour together and managing it? Oh man, it's been so long. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It's just weird. Like it's like a Rolodex I haven't used that has tons of cobwebs all over it. And I'm just trying to like, you know, wipe them clean and remember how to do shit. Um, But as far as like, touring goes, I get hired for a gig. Um, say the tour is like a month from now, I would, um, 
I would first negotiate in uh, some kind of either week advance or two week advance, basically paying me for setting up the tour with the management. Um, so if anybody is out there as a first time tour manager, just try and make sure you do that for yourselves because you're going to be doing a lot of work before the tour starts and you should be getting paid for it. And then I'll go to like coffee shop or I'll sit here and I'll just like get on the old master tour and, uh, just set up the tour and just like, I'll route it. I'll see what we need. I'll talk to the bus driver if we have one, or I'll just make arrangements for renting a bus or a sprinter. And then I'll talk to my uh, booking agent. We'll work out hotels and things like that. Um, we'll also work out like how much we want to spend per city versus others. Cause like New York is going to be more expensive versus say Utah. So like, okay, let's spend $90 here in Utah. And then we'll take the extra $110 from Utah and put it towards a hotel in New York, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And just get all that shit ready. And then I'll send out maybe an email to my whole team, like crew and uh, band and just let them know if it's if they're first time touring, like if they're kind of like newer to touring, or it's a bigger tour for them, just say like, hey, like, here's the ground rules, like, and also just, you know, here's what you should bring, like, make yourself comfortable, like it does get cold on the bus. Um, or, you know, don't overpack, like, you shouldn't stress on clothes if you're out for a month long tour. Like there are going to be washing machines, bring two weeks worth of clothes, like that kind of stuff. And I'll send out the writer and let them like edit it or add whatever they want. Also reach out to the artists or the band and kind of talk to them about how they want the tour to go. Same with the management. And then, yeah, if I have a production manager, they're going to handle all the um, backline rentals and things like that. And uh, they'll handle all the writers for the, the venue. And we'll just be on email together, talking to the venue together, making sure we have all the information we need, as well as giving them the information we have for our tour and our layout and um, our stage plot. Some tours, I have to create a whole new stage plot because um, they don't have one or they're out of date. So yeah, it's a lot of work before the tour gets started, buying plane tickets, um, local transportation, all that kind of extra stuff. And then the tour starts. And then it's sort of just like throwing up in the air, like what you've advanced and planned out to a T and just seeing how it all goes. <laughs> That's amazing. This is so far out of my personal skill set that like I'm in awe of you, oh. like, that you can make all that happen. It's amazing. I totally respect what you do because uh, as a live audio tech, it's like, you know, you see all of the bands come in and you see the production team come in and, you know, to know actually what is behind every single tour is, you know, very interesting because, and like you said, you get to the venue and then who knows what happens. So that's my next question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so now what happens once you get to your venue? Well, once we get to the venue, I always try if I can to get in first, um, I'll put up signage. So everybody knows where they have to go. Like our people will come in, we'll go wherever to shower or, um, what have you in the morning. And then we have like our designated like dressing room and stuff like that. And then um, it's my job just to make sure all the signage is up. So say the support comes in, they don't go into our dressing room, the main acts, and they know like where they're, where they're going to be. I also touch base with the venue and I touch base with the um, hospitality runner and make sure that our shopping list for the day is going to be, it's either there or it's going to be there soon and just make sure we're going to get what we need. When you're on a bus, you do get bus stock as well. So um, sometimes you make day edits um, at a venue of like, oh, we don't need cheese. Oh, we don't need ham. Like take that off, take that off, take that off. And then you're allowed at the end of the day, in theory, sometimes this is like a little bit of a debate, um, but you're allowed to take the extra money that the venue gives you as part of your um, bus stock dressing room money. 
to squirrel away and you can use that for other stuff. Sometimes uh, promoters or venues want to keep that money if you're not going to use it. So, but you have to kind of figure that deal out, but that's this whole other thing. But yeah, you'll go in, you'll set up the dressing rooms, make sure all the towels are there, you know, tell everybody there's showers available. Um, Usually that's on master tour, but sometimes people don't even look at that. So you just want to let them know if there are amenities. Um, Sometimes bands have radio promos, so you might need to like wake up the artist or the bands and say like, hey, you have an hour until we have to be somewhere, arrange local transportation and like take them to a radio show or um, some kind of gig during the day, some promo thing. Or a promo might come to you and then again, the same thing, like, hey, you guys have to be in the dressing room in like an hour for a podcast or like an interview or just do an acoustic thing on stage. And then if that's not going on or if it is, even then, um, I like to touch base with my crew. I personally like to order a breakfast or a lunch for my crew if I have that budget. I'm not able to do that on all my tours, but like one of the last tours I did, we did have the budget for that. So I wanted to take care of the crew as much as I could you know, just try and take care of anything that they need my help with during the day. And then of course I have, you know, I have to answer emails, getting guest lists together, talking to the venue about when we're going to do our security check, when um, the artist wakes up or the band wakes up, showing them where the dressing room is, maybe doing a walkthrough with them, figuring out if I'm in charge of it, where the um, meet and greet's going to be and other things that might arise during the day. Cause like One time we had an artist who they weren't ready to go to the venue when we were. So it's like, okay, arranging a car to come pick them up and bring them to the venue at a specific time, you know, and meeting them outside. Like, so that kind of stuff. So it it varies at times, but yeah, it's just always a busy day. And I always try and find things to keep me busy. So I'm constantly moving and being busy all the time. Uh, Trying to find the time to have enough sleep was was something I needed to work on, but um, it's manageable. That's what I was going to ask. I was like, you sound like you're taking care of everyone, like constantly. How do you take care of yourself? Mm-hmm. It's really hard. I mean, there is a balance. I haven't mastered it myself. Um, the only thing I can really think of is just making sleep a priority. And I think that, at least for me, when I was younger, I had more energy to just stay up later and like not consider sleep a priority. But now when I've gotten a little older and I'm also just in a a position of being a tour manager with more responsibility, it's important to get sleep because you never know when you're going to have to wake up in the middle of the night and take care of something. So having your, your head in the right space for those moments is really important. I think that's so important now, especially since um, we've been going through the pandemic, it shined a light on how we can best take care of ourselves too. Because in the live world, you know, like you said, we're always going, 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 and just getting the job done. And now we've had this time to reflect on what can we actually do to take care of ourselves. Yeah, it's a, it's weird, because for me, when uh, in 2019, I did one tour which was this tour I was with for a really long time. And um, I got to that point where I was just like, I can feel myself not enjoying being on tour anymore because it, what I have, I do different tours. So I'm a different position. So I'll do tour management or I'll do guitar backline tech. And one of these tours that I was on for a really long time, I was doing merchandise and VIP. Um, and I just felt like at that point, I was like, I don't know if like, this is the right job for me. I feel like I've, I can move on and find more touring guitar tech gigs and not, I don't need to hold on to this position anymore, you know, but it was hard because like that particular tour, it was like such a family with all the people, their buddies. I know them, you know, I, we've always had great tours, 
But I talked to the tour manager one day and I just said like, you know, I feel like I need to step away next year from this position because I'm not happy being at this position anymore on tour. So I wanted to take a break and then that was 2019. And of course COVID hit. So it's just like, oh, okay, I got my break. (laughs) So if say you got the call that you were going to go back on tour next month, Mm -hmm. what lessons have you learned from the pandemic that you would take with you to have a better balance for yourself moving forward? Mm, Well, I always go into tours mentally, always being thankful for every opportunity I get. But I also think that there's other opportunities outside of touring that shouldn't be overlooked. I mean, mine specifically is COVID. So, I mean, it's not a really great example (laughs) like as far as the job goes. Right. But I guess what I'm saying is like, I hope that other people found other opportunities for themselves outside of touring and that they know that if something isn't working for them on tour, they don't have to always put up with a situation if they're unhappy with it. They can always find that other opportunity they learned about um, while we weren't touring and maybe like focus on that or at least just always know there's something else on the other side you don't have to stick with the first opportunity you're given and think it's the only thing you're going to get or, you know, get stuck in a rut and be disappointed or um, maybe just stress yourself out so much that you don't take care of yourself anymore. I mean, sorry, maybe that's a roundabout way of answering your question, but I think maybe self-care is a big lesson that everybody learned during uh, COVID. Yeah. Can we talk about your new puppy and writing music? Your COVID. (laughs) I wish my dog was here right now. He's in doggy daycare. But it's better because he would chime in and try and be, he'd try and take over my podcast, (laughs) you know? But yeah, I got this dog um, in September. His name is Kovacs. um, And it's not some combination of COVID and vaccine. (laughs) However, some people think that it is not. He's named after like the monkey from Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes, I just... Just watch this and I was like why does Kovac sound so familiar yeah. I literally just watched it <laughs> oh that's yeah. awesome yeah. yeah so so he's named after that and um he's adorable he's great um but yeah he's my little gremlin uh and I love him so much and um he's definitely taught me that children are a great thing to miss out on in life <laughs> and uh puppies are all you really need <laughs> <laughs> they require a lot of love a lot of attention yeah they do and I mean it's For me personally, with my life, it's been on my bucket list to have a dog. And this was the perfect time to make that happen. It initially wasn't going to happen. But then, you know, my family was really supportive. And they've been down to help me out and take care of my dog whenever I do choose to go back on the road. And I don't do like lengthy tours where it's like, all right, you're gone for two years. Usually it's like, okay, three weeks, like two months, maybe max. So it's definitely something doable for me to have a dog and my family is down to take care of it. You know, I'm obviously going to be here for it. So it's not impossible for me to have a dog. So if anybody's out there who's like, I can't tour and have a dog, you can. You just need to figure it out. (laughs) Boom. There we go. That's yes. That's the big takeaway. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Some people have opinions on like, I would never do that to an animal. And I I get that. I respect that. But I feel like this is um a way that I can make this work and I can make it work with my family. So I'm going to go for it and hopefully it all works out. Hey. I'll just cry myself to sleep at night when I don't get to hang out with him, but Aww. that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's going to be sad to be away from the dog. He'll doggy. miss you as much as you miss him. Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, he's dope. Um, 
and uh yeah i write music um because of my dog like i haven't really been able to focus on that recently but yeah i write music um i have some music on spotify under an alias uh punks p-u-n-x and it's just sort of catchy pop rock stuff um this has been a really nice experience to sort of purge all my thoughts and feelings and just get all my, get all those things on the paper and then see where it goes. And I'm, I'm writing music now and trying to like get some songs dialed in and like formatted and then um, make some demos and take them to my favorite little producer person that I have um, to maybe make them into little, little gems. But at this point, like, it'd be fun to just put them on Spotify and like maybe get them on some playlists and see if people want to like them. But like, <laughs> nothing more than that at the moment. Yeah, no, I love that. That's awesome. Yep. I'm curious. Um, are there like a lot of women guitar techs? No. <laughs> I mean, I know there's a girl named Jade Payne. And then my friend who you interviewed recently, Jessica Jacobs, she does do some guitar tech stuff. She's really good at playback, and obviously she's an excellent sound lady. Um, Claire Murphy, she's a really good friend. If I can't do something, I pass her a gig and vice versa. But uh, yeah, there aren't too many of us um, out there. So I don't know. Who who knows? Maybe that'll change. But it's a hard market to get into because, you know, like I was saying earlier, it's like, you don't have experience and then you have to learn and you're kind of learning as you go and getting paid as you go. I don't think it's a, it's a thing like, Oh, well, she's a girl. I don't want to give her the job. You know, I don't think it's necessarily that. I think it's just like no one's giving anybody who's like new or green as much of an opportunity. Like some people do obviously, because people like Claire and myself exist and you know, but it's, it's just hard at first to get into it. And you said that you were when you were in merch, you were basically just a sponge. So what were some of the uh, the characteristics that uh, really made you stand out for wanting to be pulled into that role or at guitar teching, honestly? I mean, the second time I got uh, the guitar tech gig, it was with Voodoo Daddy. And that was literally because I sat down with Brian one day and, you know, he was looking for a new guitar tech and stage manager. And I had breakfast with him and I told him that I wanted the job and he didn't let me have it. I think for the time I, that it was the first time it was available. And then I think a little while later, he probably saw through social media, I was still dedicated to touring and doing that. And he saw that, okay, she really is interested in doing this. This isn't just like, a summer job to make money. And I think that that's, he gave me another opportunity. And at that point I was able to shadow his old guitar tech who was leaving. It was an easier transition. Cause sometimes when you get hired as a guitar tech, it's just like, Oh, you know how to do the job. Okay. Like there's nobody who's going to tell you, show you the ropes or like train you. Right. So luckily I was given that opportunity to learn everything from the old guitar tech and get trained. Then other bands I worked with, I was primarily the tour manager, but I also said, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll be the backline tech. I'll set up the gear. Like I'll, I'll also like, you know, tune the guitars. So I, I got to do that for, you know, the Mowgli's and the Staves. And I got to do that for some other bands too, like Magic Giant. Um, but those weren't my primary gigs being the tour, the guitar tech, backline tech. It was being the tour manager. But I also just wanted to offer that up. It's just like, oh, she can also do this. So that's a, that's another reason to have her or, you know, so that's probably why I 
would get hired for those other gigs I just mentioned because I offered something else on the table that was an asset to the team. Right. So then what would you um, recommend for other uh, women who are looking to get into touring and even guitar teching? Like, what advice can you offer them? Uh, I would say you don't necessarily have to know how to play guitar to be a guitar tech. So don't feel like intimidated by that. You just have to know how to tune a guitar and take care of it. I mean, it does help. I don't know. Say the guitarist is like sick or breaks their hand or something and you have to step in and play guitar one night. That would help. But it's not a requirement. And usually (laughs) it's rarely ever asked of you. I would say like, you know, learning the guitar basics, learning all the tuning, learning that, you know, uh, standard tuning is EADGB. I'd say uh, just getting an opportunity to uh, go to even like a luthier school or build a guitar or just like watch somebody, shadow somebody, come to a show, ask questions, things like that. Those are great ways to learn about guitar teching, but don't feel intimidated by that you can't do it. You know, it's easy to do once you learn how to do it. It's like riding a bicycle or a motorbike or driving a car. It all looks intimidating when you're a certain age, but then eventually we all have to learn how to do that. And then, you know, you get older and you're like, oh, that's nothing, you know? Mary, what would you say makes your job the most satisfying to you? Uh, I'd say like the people in the shows. Um, And I mean, just taking care of people on tour. I really enjoy that. Like getting that... um, immediate satisfaction of making somebody happy and making shows happen. And when I have a challenge and um, I execute it and uh, do it right, that makes me feel really great. Yeah. And just like the environment on tour where, you know, you do become a family pretty quickly on the road and you do make good long lasting friendships because you really get to know people when you travel and work with them in that close knit environment. I think that's pretty satisfying about the whole job overall. The family atmosphere is is amazing. Like any anywhere you go, any any show, any stage, it's yeah. that's always really special. Yeah, and I mean, with Sound Girls in particular, I met so many great women who I've either seen them at festivals or a few of them I've had the chance to tour with. I wish there was more of them actually, but it's so nice just having an environment where I can call somebody up or, you know, get a couple people on a text message and just sort of like vent, you know, like, oh, how's your tour going? Oh, my tour is like this. Like, oh, you know, and they immediately understand where you're coming from because, I mean, (laughs) not that I don't have that with my LA girlfriends, but it's just like a different thing where you have to explain extra stuff and like they just immediately know what you're talking about and like having good people around you. um, I don't know if it's a saturated word to say at this point, but finding your tribe is a <laughs> um, a nice thing to have uh, when you come into this business. Um, yeah. And, you know, that always grows and changes and everything. But just having a solid group of people who have your back or can give you some sound advice about how they'd handle certain situations on tour, whether it's like work related or just like, you know, one on one with other people you have to like work with who maybe their personalities don't click with yours. Like it's just a good thing to have some people you can lean on. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm really interested in when you're talking about how there's all these like people relationships, because what I keep hearing is that in the audio realm, it's like, yeah, you have to know your craft, you have to know the sound thing. But it's just a lot of talking to people, working with people, collaborating with people, and it's not always easy. So um, yeah, from what I know, I don't know very much about uh, 
sound, like how to execute, you know, things on a board necessarily. Like I was shadowing a couple people at this local bar in LA called the Federal Bar before the pandemic and trying to get um, in there just working and learning sound to, you know, put another thing in my arsenal. But uh, you guys have that weird balance where you have to kind of communicate with an artist and figure out what they want. And sometimes they don't even know what they want or they don't know how to say or speak your language. So it's like they're talking French and you're talking Spanish. So a couple words might translate, but it's not always like golden. Yep. And just being able to hear what they hear and knowing how to translate that mm-hmm. is is huge. Yeah. Is there anything um, that we didn't ask you that you feel like you want to say to the world or explore? I don't know. Maybe final thoughts for a new world of touring. I just hope that like everybody's going to come back strong. And I, I hope I see more of my friends out on the road this summer or not the, yeah, this summer and then next year for sure. I feel like the environment's going to be different because like, I feel like a lot of people are just going to be grinding and working really hard to make up for time lost. So I think like, just again, like what we were talking about earlier, just make sure to keep in mind those year that year of self-care and getting some rest make sure to still keep up with that when you go back on the road that's beautiful yeah that's my closing thought that's your closing (laughs) thought uh well i have one last question uh how can people support you find you on social (laughs) you can go to my instagram it's mary broadbent that's it just one thing together one word together or two words together i should say uh, and that's the best way to follow me or get in touch with me. So you can find me on there if you want to go look at my Spotify and see like, Yay. I don't know, the three or four songs I have there. It's punks, P-U-N-X, um, punks music maybe. And there's a black and white picture of me looking all Vogue. So love it. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was a blast. Um, And yeah, it was super awesome to get to talk to you. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Sound Girls podcast. Our mission is to create a community for women in audio and music production, providing the tools, knowledge, and support to further their careers. Check out soundgirls.org for more information. The Sound Girls Living History Project is a collection of oral history interviews that highlights the careers and achievements of women and underrepresented groups in audio. One of the interviews is with Stephanie Brown, a sound editor and dialogue and ADR supervisor, known for her work on The Incredible Hulk, 8 Mile, A Wrinkle in Time, and many others. Working on The Matrix was probably my favorite because at the time we didn't know what that movie was going to be, but we knew something was going to happen. And to see the phenomenon that movie became was amazing. And then to be involved in the sequels, it's still the highlight of my career is just being involved in that. Be sure and catch the full interview with Stephanie Brown, along with all the other Living History interviews, over on the Sound Girls website or YouTube channel. If you're looking for more to listen to, check out what our friends in the podcasting community have in store for you. Hi, everyone. This is Sam Hughes, host of the Sound Architect podcast, where I interview audio professionals around the world about their projects, their careers, and their advice. I've spoken to some of the most amazing sound designers on the top games, TV shows, and movies of our time. Our guests also include some of the biggest composers of our generation, 
and some of the most amazing voice actors I've ever spoken to. Catch the Sound Architect podcast wherever you listen to your podcast or at our website www.thesoundarchitect.co.uk See you there.